Hello, welcome to the Mothman Task. I'm John Moore. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So this past week we had a very uh, tenuous time at our southern border with uh, I think it started out with about ten, maybe fifteen thousand Haitians on our border. Uh, there were some very upsetting images with uh, border patrol people and horses whipping people. I know some people are saying they were using reins. Hey, I don't care what you use. You use reins as a whip. But um, what's your reaction to what went down at the border this week? Honestly, a lot of confusion because uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I've maybe I'm because I'm. I wouldn't say I'm new to politics, but I'm paying attention to everything more, obviously. But I don't remember anything like this quite like this before. And I remember seeing the images and thinking, "Wow, this is like really weird that this is a thing that's happening right now." Knowing knowing the climate that we're in right now, and then you know when you get on Twitter, my first thing when I'm not really involved in a story i try to just get on twitter and kind of read the pulse and everything and then came all these kind of like and i know you're going to get into it but all these kind of theories of why this was going on and why there was like high-end professional photographers that happen to be capturing these photos remember a lot of you know this more than i do a lot of journalists are used to have a photog with them right and then when newspapers were on the decline and everything it was like up to up to the journalist himself to take photos with their iPhone or what have you. And now it's like these really high end kind of photo quality pictures coming out. Um, and it, it seemed like there was more to this story. And we, we'll, I'll let you talk before we really get into it, but it seemed like there's something here that we can't really understand that's happening behind the scenes. It didn't seem as simple as, as the right was trying to paint it. Right. Not only as the right was trying to paint it, but even as how the left was trying to paint it. I think yeah. one of the, I think one of the things that's tough is that when you have what many of us believe to be more than meets the eye type of situations, mm -hmm. that does not give anyone an excuse or the ability or even the space to dismiss what meets the eye, right? You you had 10, 000, 10 to 15,000 Haitian uh, immigrants on the southern border in texas and they were in bad conditions uh it seemed to catch everyone off guard um i'm still not sure and i can say i'm not sure and you know there's nothing wrong with being not sure i'm not sure if how we handled it and what i mean by how we handled it, i'm not sure if we handled it right wrong what could have been done better what couldn't have been done better i think the biggest challenge with immigration uh especially for those of us who have a significant amount of compassion and tend to be more uh, on the side of uh, leniency and flexibility, there's still a bunch of situations and a bunch of circumstances that we have to acknowledge, right? It's, uh, you know, the, and down to even language. Um, you know, someone said, you know, you're deporting all these people back to Haiti. Well, these people were never, these were not Haitian Americans living in Chicago, documented or undocumented, being put on a plane and rounded up. These were people being turned away. So, you know, down to even if you can't even use the language, but a lot of people did very lazily saying that we were deporting all these people, but we really weren't. These people had not even entered the United States yet or they were captured upon entry. And I think, you know, as, as lenient and as liberal as I am, I think I look at those, you know, undocumented Americans or people undocumented in America differently than I do people trying to enter this country. Right. Uh, I think, you know, you know, there's a lot I still want to say where we keep yielding to the other person, but I want to toss it back to you before I go to my next point. But, I mean, do, would you agree that even some of the language that everybody is using can kind of mislead and get put us in a, you know, in a, in a particular mindset that's not necessarily applicable in this situation? Yeah, I agree. And to put it in context, this is a thing that happens every day, right? This was obviously a big flood. Uh, a big volume of people who were there at the same time. But this is what happens every single day. People try to cross the border every single day. People are sent away. Some people aren't sent away. Some people get medical attention, what have you, right? This is a thing that's constantly a thing, right? So for the language, it, it, it seemed like people were saying that we were capturing people and shipping them away, and it just wasn't the case, right? It was like an influx of people at one place, right? It was, and by the way, this isn't spread across the whole border. It was like, one particular place that they happen to all be at 
And there just has to be some sort of process or some sort of structure there um, where you can't let everybody in. It's just how, how it works, unfortunately, you know, and I will also say this, right. Regardless of what we're about to say or what we're about to theorize or what have you, this is just, and it's, I'm not putting the blame on Biden or anything like that. It's just, this is a thing that America has to deal with that is unfortunate. And that border patrol agent who was caught whipping this, this particular person, there's no reason on earth that this person should have their job anymore, regardless of what uh, the situation may be. Right. So it's like, we have to have those nuanced conversations as well It's like, this isn't partisan. This isn't a Republican democratic thing. It's simply, we have to figure out the border situation. We have to figure out a, a easier, more humane way to do this, whether we're sending people away or accepting people, what have you. So there's also just room there, regardless of the reasoning, regardless of the explanations, this falls on us and we have to figure it out. And I'm glad Biden stood up there. And even though he probably isn't responsible in any direct way for him to say, this falls on me, I'm the president, and this is my fault. So I'm, I'm giving him credit there, but we as a country have to do better. And this isn't a, a dig on Biden or anything. It's just we, ha we have to figure this out moving forward. Right, and you know that regardless of whether the Haitians or anybody should be entering the country, and whether they belong here or not, don't belong here, however they're handled and handled humanitarily, that is on us, right? We cannot yeah. necessarily stop people, but when they get here and we have to deal with them, and it, whether it's letting some in the country, letting some out of the country, all of them need to be treated humanely and not, and not whipped. And I know that some people, you know, what's really fascinating, some folks literally were saying, when people came out and said uh, they got whips and they're being whipped, there were people on the right saying, well, those aren't whips, those are reins. Well, I don't care what the hell it is. If it's being used in that manner, and even if it wasn't a whip, the act of taking something of that shape, a string, a rein, uh, a chain, whatever, and hitting people like that, that's the act of whipping. So, but it's amazing that some people, you know, I just went ahead and talked about the language of whether or not someone is being deported or not being deported. I would say, regardless of what device someone is using, those immigrants were being whipped and they were by men on horses and that cannot be denied and that's not acceptable in America. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and, um, Again, moving forward, this is something we have to deal with. I know, if I'm not mistaken, Biden was reaching out to kind of these companies who are able to maybe set up um, sort of a processes or something, right? It feels like it feels like this is one of the biggest. I'm not going to use the word problem. I'm going to say this is one of the biggest situations that we have to constantly deal with in our country, and for us not to. And, and it's it's nuanced, right? We do have uh, places down there that could uh, have people. There's beds. There's there's medical facilities, there's all that stuff that's down there, but obviously like the border stretches out so long. And um, so what is the, what is the big theory that's kind of, or I wouldn't say theory, but what are people hypothesizing about what really happened here in theory? Well, I, before I, I'm going to lead to the hypothesis, but I'm going to basically, I'm going to maybe even ask you a question. When this all jumped off on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it first happened, was your first reaction like my first reaction, which I will tell you what it was. It's like, how did these, I'm assuming when I heard they were Haitian, I'm assuming these were people fleeing Haiti, you know, in response to both the uh, most recent uh, earthquake, as well as some of the political unrest because of the assassination. So my first question was like, how did these people all get from Haiti to the southern border? So, I mean, before we even next go to the hypothesis, what, <coughs> who did you think these people were that were... Um, on the side. Who did you think the Haitians were? I shouldn't say these people. Who? What What did you think? Did you have the same reaction I did? Or what was your initial reaction when you heard all these Haitians are at our southern border, considering it Haiti's an, an island? Well, let me tell you what it felt like. Do you remember the caravan that mm -hmm. right before the midterms of 2018, they were trying to scare people with the caravan that's coming from Venezuela? Um, I just kept thinking like, they were even the caravan they say were a couple thousand people it wasn't like 15 10 to 15,000 people right so the first thing i thought of initially was someone brought them here or someone told them to come here and that's that's what makes sense to me They're, look it's hard 
I'm from Chicago, right? It's hard to get that many people to do the same thing. And for all those people who probably don't have cell phones, who probably don't have means to communicate as much, for all of them to be at the same place at roughly the same time, it feels to me like I thought someone had either led them there or told them to go there at a certain time. And I, I don't think it was, um, th- that's my first thought. I, I didn't know if it was good natured or bad natured, but my first thought was, Oh, th- th- it's not an accident. They all happen to show up at the same place at the same time. Right. And then that's part two. Now we get to the theory <clears throat> or closer to the hypothesis was we immediately, after I realized these weren't people getting on boats, going, say, from Haiti to, I don't know, Cancun, wherever, however, whatever the closest distance is between Haiti and Mexico. These were actually people who not recently, but for a long time, had been residing in Brazil. So these were not, these were not, my, once I, once I realized that these were not people currently fleeing Haiti, but people who had previously fleed in Haiti, set up a life, so to speak, in Brazil, and many times, you know, they're saying they're sending them back to Haiti, and these people are like, I've never really ever lived in Haiti. So with that, that even made it even more suspicious, because what happened in Brazil for them to all of a sudden decide that Brazil was not the place for them, America was? Because for some reason, they've lived in Brazil for a very long time, or a significant amount of time, now they moved. So what was it that literally... Because again, once I realized these were not people fleeing hate, fleeing Haiti, I became a lot more, uh, or fleeing Haiti currently, I became a lot more suspicious. Yeah, and uh, and before we get into the Jason Miller stuff, obviously, but I read, uh, I, I want to say immigration expert, but I read a person who's who's in that field, basically say that a lot of these people tend to be misinformed that there is a, a campaign almost to say, oh, Biden won the election. Everybody could go to the border. It's a, it's a free-for-all. Have at it. He's letting everybody in. The doors are open. And it, I'm not saying that the right did that, or I'm not saying anybody did that. I'm saying that these are people who are being misinformed on some level. And even Mexico, right? It wasn't just it wasn't just America. Even Mexico was saying, what are all these people doing it was, from what I understand, a lot of them were in Brazil. A lot of them were in certain parts of Mexico as well. So it's like these people were told on some level to go to this place. And and that's what makes me feel the worst is that, again, I don't want to conspiracize this. Who, or who did what or who said what? Because this is a thing that's before Biden, before Trump. This is a thing that's happened across our, our history. So. That's what's sad is that there's a mis- almost a misinformation campaign about what's really being uh, happening at the border, and, and these people were victims of it, unfortunately. Right, and and I think that's where it gets just really, I don't know, um, you know, and and we now go because you know I, I've had some friends and people who I think want to try to be, they're very outspoken on social media, but they also want to be responsible. I've had a few people DM me saying, "What's going on?" You know, are you seeing what I'm saying? You know, there's people openly speculating. And the speculation is essentially this, that Trump and some of Trump's allies or some people who are definitely not friendly to the Biden administration made this happen, that this did not happen organically. It wasn't just a bunch of Haitian folks who decided to walk through, um, you know, walk from Brazil to Mexico, but that this was kind of more of a purpose pitch, that this wasn't organic. Um I can definitely go to, there's something there. I'm not comfortable going ahead and embracing any particular hypothesis because I think I think this is strange, it's awkward, it needs to be looked at, but I'm not ready to go ahead and embrace any particular hypothesis. And, and, and could you tell folks a little bit more about the Jason Miller hypothesis? As, 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 as I just said, I'm not embracing one, but I do think it has, it's worth looking at. Well, the the idea is that weeks ago, Jason Miller was caught. Uh, he was in trouble with the authorities from Brazil. He was in Brazil, and something happened. There was like there was like a story that he got arrested, but then he confirmed that he was never arrested. Basically, he was in some sort of trouble with the authorities in Brazil. That was just a separate story. We, it didn't connect to this until later, and then it came to later that it was confirmed that that he was in Brazil and there was people in Brazil on the ground telling a group of 
these people essentially to go to the border. And there was an organization, a misinformation campaign, and possibly that he it was timed where he was in Brazil and this was happening at the same time. And then now this is the, kind of the results of that. So that's kind of the, the floating theory right now. Am I, am I on point there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I do not know what actually happened, but I'm, but I'm very curious. But it, again, I think where we have to be smart, where we have to be sensitive is I don't think any of the reasons, the reasons are separate from the conditions. So the reasons why they're there need to be examined, need to be interrogated, maybe even prosecutions need to happen. That does not absolve U.S. Border Patrol and all the various bodies, the State Department, from handling this situation the appropriate way. Now, granted, I think there is, again, my question is, do you, are you like me in that you view turning people away or sending them back to their country before they entered the country to be completely different than deporting someone who set up life in Chicago? I mean, what is your take take on that? Um, it, it, I don't know where I stand with that. I would say that it, it takes more of a proactive aggression to kind of take somebody who's rooted in, say, Chicago for the last five years and kick them out as opposed to like telling somebody who shows up at the door that they can't come in. I, I do agree. That's a different situation. Um, but also I want to put in context again, this is a thing that happens constantly. People show up at the border constantly. There is smugglers and coyotes who try to get people across for sure. And those people are caught and oftentimes they're, they're prosecuted sometimes and they're sent back, but there's people who actually show up to the border and nicely try to walk in and, and be accepted. And there's, there's, uh, I don't want to use the word camps, but there's facilities that have medical uh, attention and people get uh, hydrated and people get meals and people get beds and stuff like that. So this is a thing that's happening. So again, we have to figure out what the long-term solution here, because this isn't going away, right? We're, we want to be a country that's opening and accepting. And that, that open invitation is going to lead to situations like this. So I'm 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 not smart enough to answer the question if that makes sense, but right. but I will talk. One of your points is again, it's hard to get ten to fifteen thousand people to move in unison like that. So before we get into conspiracy theories, I don't I don't want to give merit to the Jason Miller stuff. I just will say this: to me, ten to fifteen thousand people aren't going somewhere unless they're being led there, and and that grows across the board. So my initial reaction is that something happened here and someone was told something and people showed up here. And so that's my initial reaction. Right. And I, but I want to go back to the point about the sending people back. I think it should also be pointed out that it's just not sending folks back that there is some type of triage evaluation because it's also been noted that in addition to the people that have been sent back, a number of people have been, are getting hearings. And so they're being, I don't, you know, held, but then there's even an, an, another set of group of people who have relatives or sponsors that they're being sent to connect to. So <clears throat> this isn't a simple situation, and it's not something where you can say they're just kicking Haitians out, because it seems like there is some form of triage that has evaluated you, you go back to Haiti. You, we're going to hold you, or you're going to stay with us here until we sort things out, and you guys... We're going to go ahead and send you because we know you've got cousins in in Chicago or, or have a have a, have an uncle in New York or you have people down in Miami. So I think that while I want this all to be handled humanely, and again I tend to be more lenient in the in, in the whole space of immigration, I think that even the nuance of how we're handling the Haitian people, it's not one size fits all, and there appears to be some criteria or protocol or process that is being followed because am i right it seems like people are ending up in all three pots some are going back some are are, are being held or being are kind of like in purgatory and others are being sent to live with folks so i think we have to be very mindful of that as we talk about the situation yeah, and not only that, but we have to understand how international this is, right? Brazil has some responsibility here. If, if I'm not mistaken, Mexico is the one who's saying, 
that, oh, a lot of this is on us and we have to ship a lot of these people out as well, right? It's not just America turning people away, right? It's all these kind of countries saying, what is the solution here? Do we accept these people? Do we send them back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And which goes back to where back when we were talking about immigration when Biden first won of this, or, or when I think Kamala was, was tasked with kind of helping the situation or leading the situation, if you will, to say, how can we fix these homes and these countries of these people that they don't have to flee and they don't have to get stuck in Brazil or get stuck at the border. And and that's obviously the long-term solution here. It's disingenuous for, I don't want to make this a Republican Democrat thing. It's disingenuous for Republicans to say, we're going to mess up your country in Afghanistan, but we don't, when you need to leave, we're not going to accept you either. Right? So this is the same Biden administration that says, all right, let's get refugees over. We're going to accept a certain amount and let's get, people across the border and so this is nuanced it's complicated it's not just haitians from brazil to mexico to texas right it's like it's like a global thing that's happening right now so um even look when there was people threatening to go to canada when trump won so it's like people understand the the logic of fleeing if that makes sense right but the one the one last piece before i move on is i think the other element that i or not element but another development i saw was that there's a lot of Haitians choosing to stay in Mexico because I think that if you go to America and you don't get taken, you get sent back to Haiti. Whereas I think there's something about Mexico that allows them potentially to return back to Brazil. Because I think who I feel really bad for are the people who don't qualify to come into the States, have done nothing wrong, and have, you know, have built a decent life in Brazil, and they've gone ahead and they've left Brazil, come to the States, only to get sent back to Haiti. So I'm wondering, do you know, is part of the reason why um, there are some Haitians who are opting to stay in Mexico? Is it because if you don't get into the States, if you enter the States and not allowed to stay back, you get sent back to Haiti? Well, do you have any understanding of why that's the case, why there are some, uh, some Haitians who are staying in Mexico? I, well, I also heard this idea that there was word getting back that it was not what people said it was at the border. And so people weren't risking their situation in Mexico to go sit at the border and, and possibly be right. Like, I, I don't know if they saw the photo of the of the person being whipped because I don't know if they are, are on Twitter or what have you. You know what I mean? But um, from what I understand, there was word of mouth being passed that the situation at the border isn't ideal and people were just opting to really stay in Mexico. Right. So um, one of the things, you know, we had the caravans this time, it was, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Another thing that happened this week is Trump lost again. The cyber ninjas have gone ahead and issued their report for uh, Arizona. And not only did uh, Trump lose, but he actually uh, lost votes. Not, so they didn't, the, 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 good, the, the good news for cyber ninjas is they found some discrepancies. The bad news is those discrepancies worked in the favor of Joe Biden. So uh, what were your thoughts when you got the news that Trump lost Arizona again? By the way, someone pointed out that um, Joe Biden has won Arizona and Georgia more than any other presidential candidate in American history. Yeah. Um, Actually, I'm going to talk about the discrepancy that they found. Although there is a... um a give or take, uh, like if, if you ask anybody, a recount will, will change a couple hundred votes, no problem. But um, this actually worried me because people, there's people calling for Texas to be recounted simply because they want Trump's lead to be bigger. I don't know if you saw that. And people were saying like, let's count all the Trump states because he definitely won by bigger margins if, if they found 500 votes in Arizona. I also want to say something else. Remember the Trump call to Georgia? Nobody remembers it because the impeachment in January 6th happened like the day after. But um, he said, you got to find the votes. That was his word. And then this appears that they found 500 votes for Biden, which isn't the case, obviously. Right. And so I just worry that this is just another thing that the right could use to be like, look, 500 votes that could have swung in the election. Even if it didn't work in our favor, what else is going on here? So that's my overall worry, right? We know this is this is BS, and we know that nothing was going to come from this. It's sad that the American taxpayers have to pay for it. Well, one of the things I think is really funny is 
um, Lawrence O'Donnell or whoever was hosting the show, I think it was Lawrence O'Donnell, pointed out that part of the reason why the Cyber Ninjas um, kind of kept it above board is at any given time, there's a fear that the Cyber, on the, on the part of the Cyber Ninjas, that they could be called to testify in front of the uh, January 6th Commission. For some reason, I thought I saw that they were already called to testify. Well, the thing is, you can't lie to Congress. And you and and I'm sure you can't even and I'm sure you're, there's probably some liability where they were sworn in and under oath yesterday, so they cannot necessarily be an under oath, you know, uh, contradicting themselves. So I think that even as reckless as they were, as much damage as they've done, and I and I heard a conspiracy theory here that I will share with you later in this discussion on this. But <coughs> the only thing that's that's happened is that um, they they had to t- you know they have to at the end of the day tell the truth because there's yeah. some liabilities for misleading. So, you know, had you heard that uh, theory that, that part of the reason why they kind of look like they played above board in Arizona was because of the potential uh, liability that they have in front of Congress? Well, I'm sure that's a thing, but wh- can I ask you what, what would not playing it up to board? Like they're just recounting. What are they doing that, could be misconstrued as not playing above the board. Well, if if they had gone ahead and manipulated the numbers, if they had gone ahead and and if they had gone ahead and, and misled, they they still tried to act like one of the things that was like so funny was evidently during the hearing uh, on Friday, they would go ahead and they would say, "Well, you see this computer this service connected to the internet," and and the guy from the Secretary of State's office or whatever said. Well, of course, no, from the county, from Maricopa County said, yes, it's connected to the internet because that's our web server, right? It was like that there was a lot, they, they played the numbers straight, but then they tried to point out what they thought were uh, irregularities. And all the yeah. irregularities were stuff that just was completely explainable. So again, they pointed to the fact that this computer in the Board of Elections office in Maricopa County was connected to the internet, implying that there was something you know, some malfeasance or, 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 you know, devious about that. And the guy's like, dude, that's, that's our web server. So, I mean, yeah. these guys, they, they were trying to, they were trying to just wild out. Yeah. And, and we, we all knew the whole time it wasn't going to go anywhere. I also think that, look, sometimes the, the game they're playing here isn't naive. I don't think they're stupid. Right. I don't think they were expecting to flip the election. In Arizona, but I wonder if they were thinking maybe like maybe there's like five votes or ten votes or a hundred votes or like 150 votes that were Trump that were Biden, right? If something was like that, that that's all that, that the right would need to like call foul, right? So it's not that they were thinking that this was going to go too far, but they just needed enough, and and it just didn't work for them. So that's why it, it turned out to be as disastrous as it was. So let me show you, and I don't even know if it's a conspiracy theory. But it was something that they talked about, um, I heard someone talking about, that really was kind of chilling. And they said, you know, at the end of the day, neighbor cyber ninjas' um, work was not to go ahead and overturn the election or what have you. But they would now have gone ahead and been able to look into the systems, the machinery, the mechanics. And learn how, and and might might they be able to hack, or might they be able to do some malfeasance? You know, the thing is, is evidently the voting machines that they accessed in Arizona are being decommissioned. You know, because mm-hmm. they went in, they took them apart, they did all the other stuff. But was that also a fishing expedition, not from the standpoint of getting and flipping votes, but to learn about the mechanics, this machinery, the software? that is being utilized to run elections and does it potentially can that information be utilized to create and wreak havoc in the future? I'm sure that there was Russians in that room. I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm sure there was somebody there who was possibly looking into that. I, I have no doubts in my mind. Like I said, there this wasn't about changing the Arizona uh, winner. It was. It was bigger than that. It was seeding doubt. It was. It was messing with the technology. It was all that stuff. So, I wouldn't say I'm fully into that, but I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, one of the things and I mentioned the January sixth commission. The January sixth commission this week sent out subpoenas. Uh, 
if I recall, they sent out, uh, they wanted to, uh, Steve Bannon, Cash Patel, Mark Meadows, and who's the fourth one? I'm missing, I'm missing a fourth one. I, those are the only three I remember, actually. Yeah, so uh, I will look this up. But your thoughts when you heard, when you saw, I mean, they're moving. They're, the, the, the commission is moving. So what, what were your thoughts when you heard about the subpoenas? Well, my first question is I wish we should probably have a lawyer on at some point. But I don't, Trump's already saying that they're not going to listen to him and evoke executive privilege. And then we saw Biden say, all right, well, whatever privilege he invokes, I'll just let the January 6th commission have access to, et cetera, et cetera. How powerful is, are the subpoenas? Do you know if, do you know if they're just going to run the ball out on this or, or will those four people be testifying for sure at some point, no matter how they, much they delay it? Well, first of all, the fourth is Dan Scavino. Okay. There you go. So, so it's Meadows, Scavino, Cash Patel, and, um, Steve Bannon. But, um, the absolute authority right now over the um, executive privilege is the White House. Now, they could potentially do some things run out the clock, but I think, though, that there are some things that are going to happen. First and foremost, I've heard that um, normally in these circumstances, um, if, the, if the people decide to sue or fight, um, that, that goes to the court system pretty fast. Um, you know, will they get slow walks? You know, they, I would assume will go all the way to the Supreme Court. And I think it'll be pretty obvious that this is what, you know, that, that the Biden administration has the ability to, to, to not provide them executive privilege. Um, I also wonder though, too, they could be held in contempt. I think the key will be, and if you look at how they've handled the situation now is, will they actually arrest them if they don't, you know, if, if they're held in contempt and they don't, will they send Capitol police, which has the authority to go ahead and do it. And I, and you know, it's one of the arguments that a lot of um, Republicans make, and unfortunately, pundits in the press as well, these are bad precedents. You know, one of the, and, and you know, Biden won't do this because what will happen if someone wants to do the same to his um, administration? His administration was not involved in, in, in an insurrection. Let's go ahead and let's have a little bit of decency and common sense and go ahead and realize that not all of these actions are created equal. And in this particular case, the Democrats are looking at the, the, the Capitol was invaded <clears throat> for the first time in forever. And there was an insurrection. We're in a constitutional, a potential constitutional crisis that the actions that are being taken to investigate and potentially prosecute these folks are justified and acceptable. And I don't like the fact that people go ahead and will say, well, if the Democrats do this to Trump and Republicans, what's to keep Republicans from doing it to them? Well, it better be on the level of what we're dealing with right now. So I do think that um, Trump and his team will try to play games. But don't forget, what they're, what they're doing right now by sending subpoenas is they've moved up the timeline. They've, they're not sitting there and just saying, would you please come? We're going to negotiate with you, which is what, what Mueller... The mistake that Mueller made is that he kind of played nice. They're not playing. They're they're they have a they're going to do this and they're going to do it on their own terms and their own timeline. So you know, I, I will be fascinated to see when I don't necessarily know or believe that anyone will move as quickly as they want, but I don't think they'll be able to stall the same way that they stalled before. Yeah, no, you make a good point. That's the frustrating part about all of this is people are saying, "Oh, don't break." precedent don't set this kind of precedent but it's like you had a president try to overthrow its own government and try to kill the vice president i don't use that as hyperbole that's what actually happened there's no doubt in my mind if they got hands on mike pence or nancy or aoc for that matter that there would have never been bloodshed i full wholeheartedly believe that right and that's unprecedented and so you have to meet unprecedented times with unprecedented answers you know what i mean so this isn't like another walk in the park this isn't like even with obama spying on trump people said was wrong but that's not what happened right he got basically intel from his intelligence community saying oh, there's some gray area here that we have to worry about and obama purposely should have maybe followed that up more but he was saying he didn't want to swing the election that's that's maybe the wrong thing to do. 
But look, I wholeheartedly believe, I'm not going to be an alarmist, but I wholeheartedly believe if nobody pays for January 6th, then the country has no future. I don't mean to mean that scarily or, or, or try to scare anybody, but if there's if there's no punishment for rule breaking, then there's no rules, simply simply said. Right. I don't know. It's uh I do think that we're going to get some action there and I think there'll be some movement. Now one of the things we didn't really put on our show prep but I do want to talk about was this week um Cory Booker announced that the negotiations with Tim Scott and the Republicans on the George Floyd Justice Policing Act have fallen through. Um it's funny because I saw Tim Scott came out and I think it'll be on the um uh Sunday shows and this still airs on Monday, so we'll know by then, but um he's gonna say that this fell apart because the Democrats are really trying to defund the police. You and I both know that's not where the Democrats that was not that um Chuck Schumer nor Nancy Pelosi nor Joe Biden told Cory Booker and Karen Bass and all, and their teams to go ahead and advance that. So um, I think it was a bad faith effort on the part of the Republicans to stall and run and try to just act like they were trying to and be on board and try to appear reasonable. But I don't think the Republicans ever intended for this to ever go any, to go anywhere. And I think they just finally, you know, Cory Booker and those guys knew that it was just they were being jerked around and they just said, hey, to hell with it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. They're, they're never going to act in good faith. They're always just going to try to run the ball, muck it up. And then point the other finger and say, look, 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 right? We saw that with McCarthy in, in the January 6th commission, right? He said he made all these strict demands and then Nancy didn't try to negotiate. And she said, cool, all your demands will meet. And then he's like, look, Nancy's acting in bad faith, right? Like it's always projection and it's always going to be whatever they say the opposite is, you know what I mean? So, uh, look, we talked about Biden doing this, trying to work with Republicans as much as he can before trying to do it on his own. But this isn't going to come from Republicans. It's just not. Republicans don't want to pass legislation. They don't want to pass anything. And so we have to start moving. And and I'm glad that Cory Booker and everybody involved is like, all right, cool. We'll show everybody that you don't want to do anything, and we'll just go do it. So I hope that they can. Yeah, Republicans are acting in bad faith, and it's, it's disgusting. You know, um, one of the things that's happening now is uh, we're dealing with both the debt ceiling and we're also dealing with, uh, on Monday, uh, potentially, you know, the first vote on the infrastructure. But Nancy Pelosi evidently on Thursday or Friday said something about she wondered if raising the debt ceiling was even necessary. Because I think in the 14th Amendment, it's, you know, basically once the, the states incur a debt, it must be paid. And this is what I don't think people understand. Raising the debt ceiling is not whether or not you incur debts. It's whether or not you make good on those debts. And so that's why if you don't go ahead and meet you know, you're basically defaulting on loans. You're you're you know, you're 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 doing some things. But if net and I and I'm sure the lawyers are working on it and working through the weekend, but do you realize that if Nancy's right, that the debt ceiling does not they're gonna try to raise it. But if they can find a way in which the debt ceiling does not technically need to be raised do you realize how much leverage that takes away from the Republicans? Because the Republicans right now are holding leverage. And holding leverage, think of that, they're going to hold the debt ceiling hostage, and they're going to try to get something out of it. I'm not sure how they determine whether or not it literally needs to be raised. I don't know if there's a lawsuit or something. But how funny would it be is if the Republicans are playing hardball with it, and Nancy is correct. You know how much leverage they're giving up? Do you... Do you know how much posturing and everything else Republicans have done? If they don't get that, dude, dude. I, did you hear what McConnell said about it this week by any chance? No. What did he say? He basically, they were just basically, they've been threatened about not raising the debt ceiling this whole time and blah, 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 blah. And McConnell, if I could be totally wrong, you could look it up before we finish, but McConnell basically said something along the lines of, the debt ceiling will be raised, but I just want everybody to know that the Democrats did it. So he's basically saying, look, this is going to happen either way, but we just want to blame the Democrats, so forgive us, right? I learned this, the biggest, the, this, I learned this completely with, the, with, with when Obama was president. Republicans don't care about taxes, don't care about the debt ceiling, don't care about anything when the Republican president is in. As soon as the Democrat wins and is in, 
um, they'll cry foul. We saw before, we saw after the election when the Biden, Biden was called to the election, people were already saying the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling. So Republicans will always do this. It's, 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 you could count on it. Like you could count on traffic and construction, right? So as far as I'm concerned, this is nothing. The debt ceiling being raised is just government procedure that happens under any president. Right. Nancy called it a tradition, but it's a tradition. That means that it's also not, if it's a tradition and not a law, I think they'll find our way around it. Cause can you imagine if you, uh, if, if I'm not sure how, what the inner workers are, the Republican party, but can you imagine if there was like three or four things that they were going to hold hostage for the debt ceiling and the Democrats are like, we don't need it. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. That would, they and, lose and, all the bargaining chips, man. And, 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 and if they do that, this is why I think you, you've agreed to, with me on this. This is why as people, as much as people say we need new blood, young blood, this is why Pelosi and Schumer are bigger badasses than people want to give them credit for. Because if this is true, if they pull this off, do you know how much that will upset on the Republican side? I think it would be a much bigger deal than people realize because I'm sure there's a lot of things that they're holding hostage, a lot of leverage that they intend to maximize that just disappears and disappears immediately. But I don't want to be a pessimist, but... I mean, they the government shut down under Obama, and and because of the debt ceiling stuff. So, wouldn't if it was if we didn't have to, wouldn't that have been a thing in the past? I think the thing is, um, the Democrats have grown a pair. I don't think I think given all that was going on, I do think that. Would you agree that some of the games? that the Republicans have gotten away with in previous years, there's an anger, a motivation, mm -hmm. an intelligence, a more intelligent electorate um, that they can't get away, with, get away with. I really think that, I think if they pull, in, in today's climate, if McConnell pulled the Merrick Garland flim flam shimmy sham now, like he did, I think there'd be more hell to pay. Right, and I even think even going to last year when they pulled, they played the whole game with uh, when um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. I don't think I really think that some of their trick bag is not going to be available to them because people are really getting sick and tired, and a lot of that, a lot of that comes down to the fact to the fact down to as long as the Democrats decide we're not going to take it anymore. I think that a lot of the trick bag that the Republicans had was wolf tickets. It was literally them doing stuff because they just knew the Democrats would just let it happen. So, I mean, I wonder. I, would, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you, would you agree that the climate has changed and I don't think that Mitch's trick bag is as deep as it, as it used to be strictly because I think the Republicans are a little bit more, have a little bit more backbone now? I mean, the Democrats have more, more backbone than they have previously? Um, here's what I'll say. I half agree with you. I do think his, I don't think his trick bag was ever that deep. It was just the same thing, but he was, he was pretty slick at doing it. Right. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's, here's where the real test is. Let's say Breyer steps down, right. And he steps down after the midterms. Republicans will, I promise you. Even though we're two years away from an election, the Republicans will say we're not filling that seat until 2024. What do the Democrats do? That's the only way that I will believe this will change because I love Barack and I love every I love how he tried to treat that seat, but he didn't do anything to fight it. He was just like, "All right, I'm gonna." He we banked on Hillary winning, and it was like it was gonna get filled regardless. And that didn't happen, right? So my question is, they're going to do it. We know the trick play is coming. What are we doing to defend it is the question. Like, this is well, going to be a thing. I think Biden, or if he only serves one term, his replacement will definitely utilize that to win. I think I I, 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 I literally, because I, I, I mean, granted, when Mitch pulled it before, I don't even think he thought that Trump would win, right? But at the right. but at the very but at the very least, he you know 
he benefited. I think he would have. I think he would have been really between a rock and a hard place had Hillary been elected. And you know, does he allow her to appoint? Does he, you know, does he push her to being further to the right? But I also think that I think it also potentially, um, you know, makes it much harder uh, for him to to maybe recapture the majority. I I just think that there's a lot more liability at times. And also, don't forget, as we talk about, there's fewer Republicans out there today. There's fewer Republicans out there today. And additionally, when you look at what's going on in Texas and with some of the things going on with choice, also Americans are waking up and they're seeing what a crazed right-wing Supreme Court looks like. So I, I, and I think this is something that we have to be mindful of, not just with the Supreme Court and everything else, is when we look back in history, we should never ignore history. It should guide us. But sometimes I wonder if we don't also do need to do a better job of assessing the situation at hand. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, it didn't work before, but I think the stakes have changed. But I also, I mean, would you, I do think Trump also... One of the upsides of the Trump administration was I do think that, especially on the left, I think our electorate has gotten smarter. I do think that while we still have a lot of dipshit to vote Republican and everything else, I do think that part of the reason why there's fewer Republicans and why the Democrats, you know, eked out um, slim majorities in the House and Senate and, and, and won the White House is because it's not that even people are waking up, they're becoming more enlightened. And... You know, we talked about this last week. Um, the Democrats have the ability to walk around and say to a bunch of people who either didn't vote or voted Republican, you like that child tax credit? Don't reward me. Reward yourself. And if you want to keep that stuff going, you're going to elect these folks. I mean, I do think that there are, and I think that's got to be part of the messaging, right? But yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And I don't think we should ignore history. I don't think we should ignore patterns. But I also think we need to be and have some confidence, though, in how the playing field may be a different going into 22 and 24 is what I'm saying. I agree with you. That works against you, though, on some level. And here's what I mean by that is everyone showed up for you in 2020. And so far, there obviously will always be criticism and, and some of it justified, right? But so far, you've delivered, right? Stimulus and child tax credits and boom, boom, boom. And so far, you're delivering, right? There's worry that once the midterms come, if we lose majority, then we won't be able to deliver as much. Here's where it backfires on you. If Breyer steps down, Republicans call your bluff and say, three years out, two years out, one year out cool, we're not going to fill it. No, no, thanks. When you don't do anything to counter that, it might cost, it, it, it won't necessarily cost you Democratic to Republican voters. It might cost you people who are saying, well, what's the point? If we're electing a, a Democratic majority and you can't even fight one guy, then what, what are we actually voting for then? I, I do not think that it will get that bad. All I'm saying is that you there's people who jump to call there was a call to action and a lot of people jumped to action and then they want to see you fill that seat and they want to see you do things and so when mcconnell just says look mcconnell basically told obama to go f himself right and then obama's reaction was saying all right hillary would do it that's fine you know what is biden's reaction to go f yourself i i, I want to see that personally because if if let me tell you something if briar retires and there's two years left, and McConnell says we won't fill it. If there is no action from Biden, I think that's a bad sign. I don't think I don't think Breyer's going to let it fall into McConnell's hands. Right now, McConnell has no say so. Everything Breyer is doing now tells me the opposite. Breyer wants that seat. He's earned that seat that he's in right now. He's not giving that up anytime soon. I don't think. Yeah, but he he also saw what happened with you know. RBG. So I, 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 I think he's, he's on, he's on the Stephen Colbert show. Like <laughs> he's saying he's uh, not walking away. I could only believe him at his word, you know? Right. So, you know, one of the things that happened this week, which, um, uh, it's, it's a good thing to end on this week is, 
Um, the Democrats had a press availability yesterday. Some people call it a photo op. Um, and it was to advocate for women's issues and with the role of women in the Build Back Better plan. And they were being heckled by uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And the best part about it was Rep. Uh, Deb Dingo from Michigan, she stepped to her. She she basically, uh, you know, she she decided that um, she was not going to take it, and she she gave it back. And I think it caught uh, Taylor Green off guard by by hearing from uh, Deb Dingo. What did you think of the little showdown in the Capitol Hill steps this past week? I I love it. Like this is the whole conversation I have about the locker room stuff that you always mention is. I don't expect Nancy to do this, but if you could send out a person to do this occasionally, I I really enjoy it, right? And now her, I think her uh, profile's up, and this helps her kind of win re-election because she's doing things. And then I agree with you. MTG, Margie, seems so speechless for the first time in, in the two years that I've become to know her, right? She was like, be a good Christian. And she was, she knew that all the stuff that she spews is BS and she had no answer for it. She just wants to yell and she doesn't want the consequences of yelling. So, um, it will, I love to see it. I love to see stuff like that. Well, and well, just, you know, I, I will say one thing. No, I will correct one thing. I don't think Deb Deagle needs a Deb's in a, and we no longer call them safe seats. We say a non-competitive seat or currently non-competitive seat. So Deb, Deb should be, uh, you know, okay. So I don't think she needs it. Um, and just, you know, this is Deb's husband's seat. So this has been, that, that district has had a dingle forever. Um, and just, if you don't know much about her husband, who she replaced, he was an absolute badass. So, um, you know, uh, look up, look up the other dingle, he, John Dingle. He was amazing. Uh, he recently passed away, but he was even, even when he retired and she replaced him, as long as he was alive, he was just, he's a fireball, one of those older white dudes who just, and, and a hardcore liberal. So study John Dingle, but that being said, I think the best part about it was the fact that um, <coughs> I think Ilhan was there, Rashida, Corey Bush, and I'm sure that's who that's who Marjorie Taylor Greene won the confrontation with. They would have been yeah, easy yeah. to demonize, but this older white woman step into her, that's what made her, because she, I'm sure she wanted the confrontation with so she could play her dog whistle races games but having an older white woman from Michigan step to her like that. And it's funny because Dingle actually tweeted out yesterday, hold my pearls. That someone po- someone posted the video of the thing as she quote tweeted, hold my pearls. So I thought that was hysterical. Yeah, when when a when a librarian yells at you, there's not much you can do but just to take it. So <laughs> I do agree with you. She stepped in front of that bullet and she was like, all right, I could do this. And there was no answer for it. So it's great. Yeah. So it's 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 going to be a really interesting uh, week in in DC. The big vote is on Monday, the day that this uh, first debuts, and we'll see how that goes. And there's some other things. Biden is actually coming to Chicago next week, next Wednesday, to tout vaccines. Um, and the Obamas actually in down on Tuesday to break ground for the library. So Chicago, our hometown, is going to have a lot of star power uh, by way of the last legitimate president and the current legitimate president. So on that note, this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys.